0: Do you shop on Amazon.com? Of course you do. You can now support the Midwest Podcast Network while doing so. Go to Amazon.MidwestPodcastNetwork.com and a very small percentage of your purchase will go towards making our network and its content even better. That's Amazon.MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Bookmark it today. Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast, I'm Alex
1: I'm Nick I'm
2: Tim
0: Today we're going to talk about the Summer Movie Wager We're going to do a quick what we've been watching Then we have an interview with the director of The Primary Instinct The Slash Filmcast, David Chen And then we're going to conclude with a full review of Peyton Reed's Ant-Man uh, If you like what you hear here, go to com For all previous 136 plus bonus episodes And you can follow us on Twitter at MFNPodcast Or also on Instagram by that name Search for Midwest Film Nerds Podcast in Facebook and Vine to find us in those places as well. Feedback at com is where you can talk to us, let us know what you think about the show and the things that we talk about. And com is where you can shop on Amazon and part of your purchase will come to us and we can make our show and network better. So... Before we get to the real meat of the show, here's a summer movie update real quick. Summer movie wager update real quick. Ant-Man took the weekend, domestically speaking, with $57.2 million, followed by Minions in second with $49.2 million, and Trainwreck in third with $30.1 million. As for the top ten, Jurassic World still, sti- still sits at top, $1.5 billion. It's only $5 million away from beating Avengers 2012 for the third biggest worldwide box office take of all time. Uh, Minions has moved up from 5th place to 3rd With 630.6 million Inside Out has 491.6 million San Andreas is in 5th With 460.4 million Mad Max is in 6th With 367 million Uh, Pitch Perfect 2 is in 7th With 280 million Terminator Genesis is in 8th With 278.1 million Spy is in ninth With 226.8 million And Tomorrowland is is still hanging on by small thread, two hundred and three point seven million dollars. Out this weekend, we've got Pixel, Southpaw, and Paper Towns. Paper Towns, John Green novel. Uh, Southpaw, Jake Gyllenhaal movie, directed by Anton Fuqua. Fuqua.
2: Fuqua. Fuqua back.
0: Yes, and uh, Pixels, a Adam Sandler movie.
2: I'm so, glad that you clarified Avengers 2012, so people didn't get confused with Avengers 98. Well, you the know, Sean Connery, Uma Thurman.
0: Oh, no, I was I was mostly just making sure people knew not Avengers Age of Ultron, <laughs> right, which I no, forgot I gotcha. to mention on our list.
2: <laughs> yeah, but th- my mind went to that movie. Well, good, so. yeah.
0: <laughs> I wanted to make sure you knew, too. Thank you. launch the career of Ray Fiennes. Yes, because yes. <laughs> yeah,
2: that was a huge smash worldwide. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, it, so.
0: <laughs> it totally is up there. I like, think
2: with inflation, it would probably be number one mm-hmm. overall. Yeah, yeah.
0: above yeah. the $2.7 billion of, of Avengers
2: 2012. <laughs> yeah.
1: I <laughs> anyway. one of those late career Sean Connery yeah. smash hits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he just raked it all in
2: right before his retirement. Yep. yep.
0: People heard they probably got the murmurs.
2: He, that was probably a good time to retire. Yeah, because uh, I think he. Oh, he might have made Finding Forrester after that. So that was a respectable.
1: That's true. A respectable more. endeavor. And yeah, launched some, an entire website and yeah. generation of internet that, culture. Yeah, that shaped the internet into what it is today, <laughs> for better or for worse. You know, I'm just now realizing we owe a lot more to him than <laughs> I thought before. Okay, so yeah, we
2: could be here all night discussing late era Shaw Goddard. So. <laughs> it's
0: true. It's true. We should move it on. Move it on to our what we've been watching segment. Nick, have you been watching anything?
1: Uh, yeah, actually, I made it my goal sometime, maybe last week or two weeks ago, to just watch a movie because it's been a long time mm-hmm. since I've actually just sat and been like, I'm watching a movie today. And I was scrubbing through Netflix and they've been doing a really good job of just adding and adding and adding. And uh, The Warriors, uh, 1979's The Warriors, uh, not to be confused with any late Sean Connery <laughs> <laughs> films of the same name, or, or Nick Nolte in, in Warrior. Um <laughs> The Warriors is a, a really fun movie to watch. Have you ever seen it? I have not. Have you? You've oh, seen see it. it. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> Walter Hill, son.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's. Uh, it was a movie that made a really heavy impression on me when I was younger, and I watched it a lot, and it was one of those movies that I immediately like had my friends come over and i watched probably multiple times within like a two week span Mm -hmm. so i think i got a little burnt out on it and it's been some years since i've seen it but i just put it on and it's it's a really fun watch it's pretty brisk and it's just a really it's a good example of a really strong just simple premise and just very like they could probably teach the script and like screenwriting and be like characters introduced inciting incident Here's the rest of the movie sets it up and then off to the races. It's really and not much and and they have like little hurdles and it's it's good. It's really good. So uh yeah, check it out and it's it's fun. It's definitely a cult classic. It was supposed to be remade by Tony Scott and it sounded horrible. Yeah. But maybe they'll remake it and it'll be better. But it's it's cool. It's definitely very uh 70s. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a neat time capsule of the era cuz you watch it now and it feels like like science fiction, kind yeah. of, because it, but that that was kind of the way the world was at the time. It's obviously a little heightened reality, but it was reality in a way. So,
2: do you, do they have the? Uh, is it the director's cut? It's out? not. It okay, doesn't good. have the
1: comic transitions, which I, I am like the only person who doesn't like that. Oh, I hate it. Yeah, I didn't I really like it. it. I bought yeah. the D V D of that when it was the ultimate edition, I yeah. think, when it came out, because I was excited that like a new D V D was <laughs> a DVD remaster was like a thing yeah. then that was exciting. <laughs> and I remember some friends being like, Oh man, I can't wait to see the, the original vision of Walter Hill and I was like, Well, he it wasn't like a studio stood in his way back then or anything, <laughs> but they just add in these weird comic book transitions and it really takes you out of the movie and it it makes the whole thing like they're treating it way less seriously. And it, it's just kind of distracting.
2: And it, yeah. It, well, then it's so on the nose, too, about... Because you, you, it's kind of implied the original cut is, oh, it's a comic book on screen. You had yeah. to put actual comic books on screen, you just kind of roll your right. eyes. Right. Yeah. Feel, it
1: feels like a fun, like, really good comic book adaptation. And then when they do that, it, I'm like, I'm just playing Comic Zone at this point. Remember that <laughs> well, game where you would just yeah. jump across the panels? That's kind of <laughs> the way it feels. Were the were, like
0: Were the transitions... Was that something he had in the script? Earlier, or...
1: I think supposedly that's the way it was, and then it just didn't happen. Okay. Somebody was probably like, that's a bad idea, and they <laughs> they were right. Because it's just weird. It, like, will, like... The final frame of a scene, it just, like, freeze frames, and then it, like, gets drawn over, and then it, like, pulls back and, like, jumps to the next panel, and then it continues. It's really just dumb.
2: Yeah. It kind of... Sometimes studios are right. <laughs> sometimes. sometimes.
1: The, the big... <laughs> yeah strong arming of the studio in 1979 (laughs) with this low-budget movie that probably no one cared about at the time that launched the career of James Ramar. Well, there you go. So we have that to thank for him. Later to replace Christopher Lambert. And Mercedes Ruel. Ruel. Ruel, Who I like a lot. (laughs) Who was on Fraser
0: Of the Fisher King frame. frame. Yes, and
1: right. Fraser frame. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alex. You just made me do it
3: while you did <laughs>
1: Oh, man. Always glad to uh, impose my speech impediments on other people. Anyway, that, that's all I've really seen recently. Right. That's new and exciting.
0: Yeah. That's old and exciting. Speaking of new, Tim. Yeah. We got to see a movie as a midnight movie at the main art this weekend new for you. Well, yeah, I saw that's it when true. it came
2: out, buddy. <laughs> Proud of it.
0: We saw Spice World.
2: Spice World. Yes. Starring the Spice Girls.
0: I don't have a whole lot to say about this movie. <laughs> I was so tired. I was probably half asleep most of the time, but the movie felt like a fever dream and I don't think that's because I was tired. It's
2: the <laughs> it's very strange to watch. Mm-hmm. I remember even when I watched it, I went with like a group of people. Yeah. To see it and I remember going like that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I will say this though, that was a rowdy bunch we had it was, at Vice World. That was the rowdiest midnight show I think I've ever been to. Was there a huge
1: group together?
2: Yeah, there were actually quite a few separate groups. Yeah. Um there were mostly group it was mostly younger ladies, yeah. I'd say in the 20s and 30s. So
1: People for who that mattered. Yes. Back yeah. in the day. Yep. It and was I, fun. Yeah. yeah.
0: It was. It was a good time. It was the
2: right crowd to see it with.
0: I had to say uh, the Dominic West role. The, that was so fun. Yeah. It's really really <laughs> funny because this movie is like oh like watching this now I'm almost like oh look at all these little cameos but these weren't cameos they were just bit parts for actors who weren't popular. Well then you know they like, may have been cameos the, the
2: cameos then though because there were cameos for uh, I wasn't. Huge into British television. That's I was true. But Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie are in it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Which, um
2: Roger but, Moore's in it. And those may have been I mean Roger Moore definitely was well, stunt yeah. casting, but those may have been there were actually parts in there when there was like a British guy on screen and like they treated him like a celebrity in yeah. the movie. And I'm like, who's that guy? Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's like it's like me with um. With entourage and all the sports people, oh,
2: or uh, trade wreck, which we will talk about. Yeah, because <laughs> even I—we'll uh, talk about trade cameos in a little bit. But yeah, um, no, it, it, there are a couple funny parts. I don't really—it's the Spice Girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not much more. I to say still about can't it. understand half the movie. No, because there's it, British accents.
0: Number one, British accents. Number two, the sound and music is punched it, up so much higher than any of the dialogue in that movie.
2: That is a um. That's a bummer about Midnight Movies some of them now is cuz they play the DVD copy yeah. of the movies they have that it kind of The mi- the mixes
0: are The quite. mixes
2: are off and that's why it's I liked I only go to Midnight Movies these days if I know it's going to be a crowd for something like Spice World or yeah. Purple Rain or something where I know people are going to get into it. They show stuff like the uh like The Godfather and movies like that and unless it's on film I don't Really, ca- I'll watch it at home. Yeah, because I don't, I don't need to hear some, I don't need to hear some hipsters laughing through The Godfather because they find <laughs> something funny, yeah. like like they find something cheesy because that's what they do. So
0: yeah, all right, and then we also <laughs> uh, we also went to go see Trainwreck this this weekend, uh, the latest Jed Apatow film, written and starring Amy Schumer of Inside Amy Schumer fame. Uh, Tim, what did you think of the film?
2: I liked it. It's um, Judd Apatow's best movie since Knocked Up. Um, That's not saying a lot, I don't think, in (laughs) my opinion, because I don't really like funny people, and I despise This Is 40. This Is 40 was one of the more just putrid experiences of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) It's just two hours of people just nagging each other. Mm -hmm. It's horrible. That is 40. (laughs) Yeah, I know, but I don't want to watch it. You're not there yet. (laughs) No, I know. Um, But this is pretty much when you put Judd Apatow and Amy Schumer into a movie like this is pretty much that for better or worse if you're not a fan of either of these two people then you will not like this movie at all because it's written by her and it's directed by Judd Apatow and their trademarks and fingerprints are all over it I tend to like both of them to be
0: fair I don't like I don't love Amy Schumer but I do like Judd Apatow Mm -hmm. and I feel like I still enjoyed the movie quite a bit like I think I definitely think it's it's some of his best work. I think maybe even including Knocked Up. But it's been a while since I've seen Knocked Up. Knocked Up is pretty is good. Is Bill
1: Hader in that as well?
0: In Trainwreck? Yeah. Yes. yes.
2: Bill Hader's the uh, the romantic lead. Yes. The romantic lead. He, Excellent. He's, yeah. he's, he's very good. That's the thing is, this is, I was kind of surprised by it a little bit because it's a straight up romantic comedy. Yeah. Like it's by the numbers. I guess a little bit reversed. The roles are reversed. Yeah. But it's by the numbers and like Earl Moment M- Economy, you have to like the two leads. And I liked the two leads. Bill Hader's very, very likable. In this Bill
0: Hader sense. and Bill Hader plays it very straight, which I don't feel like is a typical Bill Hader well, I guess I'm used to watching him on like Saturday night, night live where most of the time only the guest plays it straight. But it's I thought the movie was was quite enjoyable. I i there's there were a lot of moments that were like really good belly laughs that came out of me, and and the crowd seemed to enjoy it. It was like a sold out crowd at eleven fifteen in the morning right. on Sunday, so I think the movie's doing pretty well. Did you guys see Spice World Saturday? Spice Friday World Friday. Friday. Um, yeah.
2: Then I saw. I had a busy weekend because I saw it on Sunday, Saturday. Yeah. Train Sunday.
0: You, you what, what a, a cinematic weekend. weekend for right. you. <laughs> I did. I did. I had. Ant Man Thursday, Spice World Friday, nothing Saturday, and then Trainwreck on Sunday. So what a great weekend! Yeah, yeah, it was no, fun. D- uh, I, I uh, the cameos in Trainwreck. The one scene that I'm thinking about, um, with like the the oh
2: the scene at the end yes. where they have the intervention. Yes. Yeah, maybe I won't ruin the cameos. But yeah. there was there was one cameo where I like it took me a while. They finally say her name. and i'm like who is that yeah yeah. well that's the weird thing is
0: like there's not even like a good reason to have those uh, well i mean okay but there's one person there that doesn't make any sense to me as to why he's there and i had no idea if he was actually playing a cameo or if he was just a character in the movie that was supposed to be like oh here's this character until they say his name right and it was it was strange, but
2: that's kind of a recent Apatow annoyance of mine. Anyway, he's, he's thrown cameos, I think in the last couple movies he's made. Yeah. And it's kind of, I just, <laughs> just kind of roll my eyes at some of them. So, yeah. um, although if I remember the Ray Romano one in funny, funny people, is really good.
1: Oh yeah. It is really the good. scene with Eminem.
2: Yeah. Ray Romano and Eminem is really funny. That now, is hilarious. <laughs> it might be the best part of the movie. The problem with funny people is the better actor of the two is not the lead. Yeah. Um, so there's a, uh, Colin Quinn's really funny in this movie too. Colin Quinn to, is
0: fantastic. No shit. Colin Quinn.
2: Colin Quinn plays Amy Schumer's dad. And there's a funeral scene in this movie that, well, well, there's a spoiler. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> that is really good because it's kind of, it's, it's sweet and touching, but it also is like, yeah, you know, he's kind of a dick. Yeah. So. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, Colin, Colin, like I don't normally love Colin Quinn. But I thought he was fantastic in this movie. Yeah, and uh, LeBron James also does a great job.
2: LeBron's very funny in it. Um, yeah. What was the other cameo I was thinking of?
0: LeBron's not even like a cameo. No, LeBron's, LeBron's like
2: the uh, like Le- the best friend in a romantic comedy. Yeah,
0: LeBron is a character in the movie. Yeah. as the best friend of Bill Hader's. Oh, doctor. John
2: Cena. John Cena. John, is John, yeah. really funny. John
0: Cena is ridiculously <laughs> good. Wow.
2: Yeah, it's a flawed movie though. I mean, it's too long. Yes. And I think the message gets mixed towards the end. Yes. I and I and I don't think it's what they're going for. I can't get into it without spoiling what yeah. happens at the end. I don't necessarily think the way it plays out is how they intended it. Yeah. But because of Bill Hader's character in this movie is never really in the wrong. Like he doesn't really change at all. And so the way I think the ending comes across, it comes across like Amy Schumer's character has like overhauled her whole life yeah. to to be with Bill Hader, and I don't think that's necessarily what's intended or what. But I think because of how it was written and how it's executed, I think it, people have left kind of confused with mixed messages on it. And I don't think that's the case.
0: Yeah, But that's fair.
2: Yeah, I um, so it's a it's funny though. It's very funny.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would I I recommend it for sure. Mm-hmm. So. I recently got a chance to talk to David Chen about his film, The Primary Instinct, as well as many other topics. His new cello EP, Cello Put and Pop, will be available soon on iTunes, and you should check out DaveChenMusic.com in the meantime for more information. Onward with the interview. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. You may know him from such podcasts as The Slash Film Cast, The Tobolowski Files, Big Problems, A Cast of Kings, The Ones Who Knock, or from his writing at SlashFilm.com. One of his latest projects is a film he directed called The Primary Instinct, a storytelling film starring T- Stephen
4: Tobolowski. David Chen, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, sir. Thanks so much uh, for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. We are uh, very happy to have
4: you here. I'm uh, glad to be here, sir.
0: Uh, so, just kind of off the top here, The Primary Instinct, I finally got a chance to see it alongside the uh, world premiere not too long ago at the end of May, I believe. Uh-huh. Uh, and I just want to say that I enjoyed it very much. Uh, it was actually we did a most anticipated episode, and it was my number one because I was just oh. so excited to see what was going to come out of this beautiful uh, <laughs> communion of, of of minds, and I was not disappointed.
4: Oh well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it, sir. I literally just came from cutting the trailer for that film. <laughs> I like took, I was in the office of you know the production company and took a lift home. And got here one minute before we were supposed to start doing this uh this interview here. So uh so I'm it's still very much something I'm working on that's part of my life. Yeah. Uh but uh but really grateful that you have been such a great supporter and uh hopefully, you know, many thousands of people will be able to check it out someday.
0: Yeah, I, I hope they uh they can. I hope it, it was such an awesome experience. I think we can just kind of get into it now. Um I feel like the movie very much There's this quote that Ben Folds has. He did like an iTunes Originals where he was talking about some of his songs that he wrote. And he talks about how one time Ben Folds 5 opened up for Neil Young. And they said that uh, Neil kind of makes stadiums feel like living rooms. And they were always kind of trying to do the opposite. And they realized that day that they were like, oh, we need to scale it back. We need to bring people in. And I think the film, I think the primary instinct really... It feels like Steven was in my living room telling me the story. And I was just kind of wondering, is that kind of what you were going for? Or I, I just—I don't know a lot of the directorial choices behind a concert film or a storytelling film. So can you talk about that a little bit?
4: Yeah, sure. Uh, actually, that wasn't the feeling we were going for. Uh, but that's okay. I mean, I, we wanted it to be intimate. I don't know if, uh, if I had anything regarding the physical space specifically in mind. I will say that Stephen made a storytelling film called Stephen Tobolowski's Birthday Party uh, many years ago. Have you heard of it or seen it?
0: Yes, I bought a signed copy not too long ago.
4: Actually. Oh, excellent. Yeah, so that was a very enjoyable film. Uh, but it is, you know, given that I was making a film with him that's kind of similar in terms of what the film is trying to do, I wanted to try and make it different. Uh, in that film, Stephen Tobolowsky's Birthday Party, he's literally in a living room <laughs> uh, telling stories. And I have seen Stephen perform live in front of uh, hundreds slash thousands of people. And there is something really special when you are with thousands of people and you're all in the same emotional space as everyone else around you. You know, your, uh, your mood could turn... Uh, in an instant, based on where this story is going that you're all listening to, and literally the words of one man could change, you know, everyone's evening and maybe their lives. And that's really kind of what I was trying to capture. This idea that, uh, you know, the the grandeur of the Moore Theater, which is in Seattle, and this idea that you're sharing this uh, story with, uh, you know, many hundreds of other people uh at the same time and and kind of experiencing it with them uh so essentially what i'm trying to say is i like uh, according to you i've completely failed at what i was trying to accomplish (laughs) in the film
0: no i don't i don't think that's true at all i just think (laughs) it's one of those things where like steven's talking about such huge ideas and and in terms of like life and love and and everything that he touches on in the film and just to kind of it still feels like he's connecting with every single person that's sitting right. in that audience, and I think the fact that you could kind of portray that on film with me not being there—like I was one of these people who heard about the Tobolowski files and started listening, and then you guys started doing live events, and I was like, "Oh man, they're, like they're never going to come to Detroit. Why would they come to Detroit? I'm not going to get to see this." Uh huh. Uh-huh. So the fact that you captured that in film and kind of just took. Stephen's work and and the all of the effort that he puts into these stories and and kind of gave it this clear glimpse into that process and, and into the events that that you guys do. I think it's very, very fantastic. Like it was all right,
4: cool. Well, thanks so much. And yeah, that that was exactly the goal is this idea that we're not necessarily going to appear everywhere. In person, but uh, hopefully we can, you know, bring it to you wherever you are. Um, so when, when you guys started doing these
0: live events, is that where you kind of had this, the genesis of the idea of the primary instinct? Where you're
4: like, man, we really need to capture this. Is that? I will tell you what the genesis of the movie was. Okay. Uh, it was not so much out of a desire to do something, but it was out of a desire to not do something. And that not do something is to not regret this period of my life. <laughs> in the sense that, in the sense that you know, I've been working on the Topolaski Files with Stephen for many years, and uh, we know each other well, and um, with we have there's a lot of mutual trust there, and uh, he's he's game for anything. I mean, we are gonna do a video to promote the Primary Instinct that I think will be shocking, and I can't <laughs> I can't I'm not gonna describe what it is. I just want to I just wanted to drop in a couple months and. You'll know, all, all your listeners will know what I'm talking about, because hopefully if everything goes according to plan, it you know, a lot of people will see it and it will it will shock one's sensibilities. But I guess my the point I'm saying is that uh, there's a lot of trust there and he's willing to do, you know, uh, a lot that I suggested. If I say, hey, this is a good idea, Stephen, he's likely going to do it. And uh, because we trust each other as professionals. And uh, I realize that. If I didn't make a movie with Steven, then 10, 20, 30 years from now, when it might not be possible for me to make a movie with Steven, I would deeply regret that I didn't make a movie with Steven during this time. You know, because if you have access to one of the greatest character actors of our time and you don't work with him professionally, you know, Um, I just felt like I would never be able to forgive young future Dave would never be able to (laughs) forgive uh, past Dave. And so it was really about like, hey, I have this access. I have this opportunity. Um, I barely have the time. Uh, Why not attempt to make a movie with him? So actually the (laughs) movie was never supposed to be only a concert film. It was supposed to be more of a conventional documentary. Okay. But uh, we realized after we shot a bunch of footage that this was the best version of the film that we could make was a concert film.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Can, can you talk a little bit, I don't know if you've ever talked about it in the past, and maybe maybe it's just been so long that I don't really remember. I know that Steven popped up on a Slash Filmcast episode at one point. How did you guys begin this professional relationship that you have?
4: He popped up on the Slash Filmcast, and I loved his story so much that uh, after an appearance, I said to him, Steven, your stories are so amazing. And I bet there's so many more stories waiting to get out in the world, like in that head of yours. If we don't do something to get them out, they'll be lost forever. So, let me know if you want to do something to get them out into the world. Like I'll I'll do anything. You know, we'll we'll post them as columns at SlashFilm.com. We'll do like brief podcast interviews, like whatever you want to do. That's awesome. And uh, you know, he said yes, and I think there was some things going on at, in his life too. Uh, I, I, there's a story he tells where you know, he broke his neck riding on a horse and Mm -hmm. he's talking about how he made this realization that if he died, you know, while riding on a horse that his children might never know their father. Uh, and so that's when he started like writing stories or at least, you know, he, he had always been writing, but he, he, you know, made them into full narratives. And, uh, so that, that was already kind of going on at the time that I pitched him the podcast. Uh, but you know, it's just a confluence of events make it so that hey, we both were into doing this thing, and then the Tobolowski Files was born.
0: That's awesome. Um, so I know that the Primary Instinct is still very much something that you're working on right now, and I kind of have gotten some glimpses through the slash film cast, and maybe even just now that it feels like you might be heading towards like some other documentary feature as your next project. Is that true or do you feel like you're open to some kind of fictional narrative project or more traditional narrative in the future?
4: I'm definitely open to to those kinds of things. Honestly, Alex, um to quote the great Vin Diesel, no, I I'm <laughs> not going to quote him, but I'll paraphrase, you know, he has that line of, "Oh, I live my life a quarter mile at a time" or whatever. I um right now I'm kind of just dealing with the things that are before me right now to deal with you know i have um a job uh, that's like a full-time job that's very intense and and you graciously helped support this uh cello ep that i'm doing uh which you'll soon be able to find at davechenmusic.com and so um doing that cello ep and getting the movie out into the world uh is going to take up pretty much all of my existing mental energy like i can't <laughs> i can't think of any, to do anything else plus you know i, I do the podcast every week too, you know? So it's not yeah. like um, am So uh, all that stuff kind of is soaking up all of my mental energy. I can't even focus on the next thing right now because I need to finish those previous things that are already in motion. Um, that being said, yeah, I would love to make a, a documentary, Um, but I, I spoke recently on Slash Homecast about this, uh, how documentaries are really, really challenging if you don't have financing yeah. for them and um you know uh to to do a documentary well you you need to either follow someone or a story uh, for you know a long period of time anywhere between uh a couple days to 18 months and uh you you might also need some financing too uh to, people to help score the documentary and to shoot the documentary and do sound and and editing and all these things and so uh it's very resource i mean that's true of narrative features as well yeah. but, but documentaries uh i i guess i guess it's it's somewhat simpler because i could theoretically do everything associated with the documentary myself whereas it is a lot harder to do that for a narrative film so essentially what i'm telling you is that like the the obstacles to creating either narrative or documentary uh features are massive and um not something that I feel ready to take on at this particular moment in time.
0: Did you kind of, do you see your film career? Do you one day want to be making a Hollywood film? Do you want to be directing a Hollywood film or are you just trying to kind of focus in on things that really matter to you? And if one day those two things coincide, would you be open to doing that kind of thing?
4: Yeah. What would I like to be a Hollywood <laughs> film director one day? Yeah, that'd be great. I, um, uh, I I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge to figure out what to, to truly focus on. Um, and so I can't say I have a, a good answer for it. I, I think there's some people who, you know, the people who I look up to, they start their life and they, you know, they have a goal in mind. They want to be a Hollywood director and, uh, and the, everything they're doing is is sort of tailored to that goal. You know, there's something very admirable about that, and uh, the singular focus. They'll they'll try for years to to make their movie. I think of people like Darren Aronofsky, who I think borrowed 50 grand from family and friends to make Pie, or I think of Ryan Johnson, who tried for years to get Brick off the ground and finally made it for I think like half a million dollars. Um, and they had these stories that they desperately wanted to tell. And, uh, you know, th- that's, that's very admirable to me. Mm-hmm. At the same time, for every, uh, you know, Ryan Johnson and Darren Aronofsky and James Gunn, there are dozens if not hundreds of people who failed at doing that. And I guess uh, I have a, a huge amount of risk aversion. Um, i don 't want to uh, you know i don 't want to give up uh, what I consider to be security for to take a chance on something that is you know who knows where it could end up, and most likely ninety percent of the time it will end up in failure um, or in people not exactly achieving what they set out to accomplish uh, so as a result, like I have played it pretty safe in general and the question for me is whether I'm going to continue to do that. You know, and when I say play pretty safe, I mean, I have done everything I've done while holding a full time job and being relatively stable in terms of like my earnings, for instance. Yeah. Um, and, you know, is that so the, the your question is really like, is that going to change one day? Um, I don't know. I mean, if I can continue doing what I'm doing and making cool things on the side, then I'll continue doing it. But if there comes a point where I feel like, oh, there's a story I need to tell and only I can tell it. And I can't tell unless I quit my job, uh, then, I mean, it's possible. But, you know, who, who knows? I, I, it's certainly not the case now, and I'm, I can't predict the future. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I look forward to kickstarting, kickstarting your uh, <laughs> your dream project one day. As long as, you know,
4: <laughs> as, long as people can keep kickstarting my stuff, uh, I, feel, I feel good about proceeding in my current path.
0: In terms of, you, you talked about how you're doing so much right now. I was going to ask you for some tips. Uh Because I'm kind of here at the – I have the Midwest Podcast Network, which right now is two different shows, uh, one of which is the Midwest Film Nerds uh, Podcast, and there's the Midwest Game Nerds Podcast as well. And uh, I just wanted to know, how do you do – how do you make time to do all these different things in your life? You've got three different podcasts that kind of go all at once, and then you also are putting this movie together, and you're working on the cello EP – how do you find the time to do all of that in a week like i have a hard a hard enough time with my job and and doing one podcast and being on another one like where does it all go
4: so i guess my answer to your question is in my opinion people have way more free time than than they let on uh i i think everything is about choice and will it's about you know, what What do you want to do with your time? So, I mean, I think if you parcel out your time discreetly, you know, and say, if, if you were to do a map or a chart of all of your hours in a day, uh, there are probably many hours where you're not doing anything at your job and not doing anything otherwise uh, productive, right? Th- those are the, Basically, those are the hours that I use to do everything else. There, there's a lot of time that people have... Uh, in their lives, that they are not willing to surrender to their interests. Uh, and I am willing to surrender those times. <laughs> I think that's, that is That is the theme that I have you know, gleaned over time, is that uh, some people would rather relax and watch television than make a podcast or practice cello or, um, you know, make a movie. <laughs> so that's just... Some people prefer those things, and um, and that's cool. Like I, I, on some level, I wish I could relax, uh, you know, and not feel this existential uh, <laughs> dread that I'm gonna, you know, pass through life without having produced anything of value. I, you know, like, and if I had, if I had that uh, level of ability to relax, then probably I would live a lot longer. But um, <laughs> I don't, and so as a result, uh, I use uh, all my free time to make things. I don't know if I don't know how satisfying of an answer that is for you. But I mean like what do you do on your weekends? That's a good question, right?
0: Yeah, I mean that's fair. It really it really depends on the weekend. Sometimes it's going to a movie that I'm going to review on the podcast that week. Other times it's recording the Game Nerds podcast with my brother or you know. Yeah, so you I mean
4: you're already you're already you know making use of that time um for for uh, things that you want to build uh outside of work. So uh you know it would be one thing if you were if you said to me oh hey i don't have any time to make any podcasts and it's like oh okay well i think you're just that's just wrong <laughs> um but that's not the case you're already doing a couple podcasts and and so uh but but there is so much time on weekends you know how many hours do you are you awake on weekends probably at least 14 hours a day um that is twenty-eight hours per week that you can be using to make things.
0: That's true. That's like another part time job that it could be, you know?
4: Yes. It is. It's basic it basically is for me. So <laughs> um so yeah, I just think there's a lot of free time people have and um really how you choose to uh, there's real no secret to it, it's just how you choose to allocate it, um, you know, affects uh how much your output is.
0: That's fair. That's very fair. Yeah. Um so speaking of all the things that, that you are doing with your time, how is the Cello EP coming along?
4: Uh, the Cello EP is pretty much done at this point, actually. Um, and so uh, I am looking forward to getting out to the world. I was going to release the EP at the same time as I released the first video. Okay. Um, so I still need to shoot the videos for the EP. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the, the cello EP is pretty much done and um, in, I would say within a a week or two of listening to this, you will be able to find it at Dave dot com, And, um, yeah, so it's, it's, all the recording was done months ago. It's now just about the mixing and, and all the, and getting something onto, uh, iTunes, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: So, so I think I recall that you, you landed on. There's always room for cello as the name of the
4: EP. I think the name of the EP is going to be cello put in pop. All right. All right. That is what we're going to go with, I believe. So I'm glad you're making Jeff Canada's dreams come true. By... Uh, I, that's what I live to do is make Jeff <laughs> Canada's dreams come true. So very good. Very good.
0: So David Chen, thank you very much for being on the Midwest film nerds podcast. Uh, I look forward to recommending, recommending to everybody to check out The Primary Instinct. I already have recommended that, but as soon as it's available to everybody, I will hopefully know and then uh, pass along the word to our listeners. But thank you very much for being here and taking the time to talk to me.
4: Uh, well, it's been a pleasure, and thanks so much for your support uh, of the EP, mm-hmm. which, by the way, people can find at Um and would highly recommend you check it out because I think it uh, it's going to be pretty pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and we should also say, if you want to hear David's uh, extended thoughts about Ant-Man, I'm sure the Slash Filmcast episode is probably already out or will be out soon. So go check that out. And uh, Big Problems Podcast has been coming out every once in a while when you got time.
4: (laughs) Yep. Uh, Uh, Yeah, that's at BigProblemsPodcast.com. But yeah, Um, thanks uh, thanks for having me on the show, Alex. Really appreciate it. Thanks for
0: being here. We hope you enjoyed our interview with David Chen the director of The Primary Instinct. Uh, please check out his cello EP when it's out, as soon as it's available on iTunes. But on with the show. We're here to talk about Peyton Reed's Ant-Man. Uh, the synopsis on IMDb says, armed with a supersuit with the astonishing ability to shrink in scale, but increase in strength, cat burglar Scott Lang must embrace his inner hero and help his mentor, Dr. Hank Pym, plan and pull off a heist that will save the world. Uh, this movie stars Paul Rudd, Michael Douglas, Corey Stoll, Evangeline Lilly, and more people. And uh, it is the latest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So uh, Nick, I think is the resident biggest Ant-Man film. Or Ant-Man film. Ant-Man <laughs> The only person who was really looking forward to it six years ago. Uh, what did you think of Pete and Reed's Ant-Man? I
1: like it. A, a quite a bit i guess i'm still i do i like it it's good i liked it a lot enough it's <laughs> as well also in <laughs> in accordance too with it it's um when i left the theater i was really kind of all over the place with how i felt about it and part of it is because of my own expectations part of it is because of all the the turmoil that the movie went through in production and part of it is all just the insane blitzkrieg of marketing that i was getting assaulted mm-hmm. with all the time, I you think mean
0: the twenty seven
1: TV spots. Uh, yeah, I, I'm usually really good at avoiding TV spots. The yeah. best TV
2: spots have come out after the movie, by yeah. the way, and
1: and most of what's in them is not in the movie, <laughs> yeah, which is really really confusing. And one of the things that bothers me the most about this movie, but we'll we'll uh, we'll get there. Uh, it feels it, it's it's definitely. I would say I, I recommend it for sure. It's, it's satisfying as a fan of the character. I think it's satisfying for people who like the comics, and I think it will be a, a pretty satisfying experience for just the average Joe from some of the other people I've talked to. Uh, it definitely feels like a Battlefield promotion movie. It feels like they were, they were storming the beach, and the commander just got shot in the face, and they turned and said, You! You can, you can do this, right? And he's like, Yeah! <laughs> and they're like, Just get us there in one piece. Here's all the things you need. And he goes, Okay. And then, and then they get there, and they're like, Cool, we made it that's kind of how it feels. It's it's not a grand slam, but it's by no means bad. Mm-hmm. It just feels inconsistent to me throughout the movie. It feels like I'm seeing three different movies from scene to scene. So it's a little bit the 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 waves are a little rocky when you're watching it. Uh Paul Rudd feels uneven as well. He feels a little muted at times mm-hmm. and sometimes he really shines. I would say most of the time he he's he's good. But I think part of that also is my like, walking out of the movie, I was a little, eh, on him. But then I started thinking about it. I was like, man, he wasn't really funny for a lot of the time. And then I realized that's probably a good thing. Because I went into it expecting lead Marvel man, quip a minute, ho-ho-ho, like funny and snappy and witty all the time. And he really wasn't for at, at the start of the movie. And I'm like, you know what, That that's actually probably a good thing, that he was a little more serious and he was surrounded by really funny guys and that's great because the comedy is consistent throughout the movie and that's good. There's always somebody being funny generally or something funny going on. Um, the, I like, I like Corey Stoll a lot. This is the first thing we've ever seen him in and his character should by no means be fun to watch or interesting, but he actually makes him fun to watch, but not really interesting, but he's, he's entertaining for sure. Yeah. He's very, uh, the The whole movie is very boilerplate, but it's I think in a way that was kind of kind of I kind of liked watching that. I don't know why. It's hard to describe. Maybe, maybe one of you guys will <laughs> flesh that out a little bit more. But I think it kind of was what it needed to be. It feels like a cartoon. It feels like a like a like a it feels like a comic book movie, really, and and not in a way that I'm annoyed by it, like some of the other Marvel ventures. So mm-hmm. I think it's kind of what it needed. Uh, Evangeline Lilly I liked a lot. Michael Douglas is perfect the mm-hmm. entire time he's nothing nothing he does is bad he's really really good uh the action i think is fun the there's some pretty original moments but i really wanted a wow fight sequence that people would walk out of the theater talking about i wanted like the inception tilting hallway scene where people would go oh my god could you believe that and there that wasn't in the movie and it should have been like when you're dealing with something of that scale mm-hmm. There should have been some sequence that was just amazing. And people would be like, oh, my God, could you believe how creative that was? And it wasn't really there. The third act definitely has some really creative stuff that's very fun to watch. But all- I think
0: it's creative comedy, but it's not really creative action. Right, right. And yeah. the,
1: the, the action can be very funny. And yeah. the adventure can be very funny. Uh, but o- overall, there's not, there's not a sequence where you're like, yes, like that was just so cool to watch. I want to see that again. Yeah, But... They've done a great job introducing the character. They set up some of the mechanics really well with the shrinking and the growing. Uh so hopefully we'll see a, a, some more innovative use of that in the future. I don't necessarily think Peyton Reed should do a 2 if there is a 2, but maybe he should. I don't I don't know what in here was him and what wasn't. It's kind of hard to sort out the mess. Yeah. So um yeah, I think it, it's good. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see Paul Rudd do more in the Marvel universe. So there there are some there's a pretty I'm sure you'll get to it, Alex. There's something really head scratchy in this movie, so you'll—I have a feeling it's—it's it's heavy on you weighing heavy on you. Okay, so we'll see.
0: Tim, what'd you think of Ant Man?
2: I'm glad you brought up Peyton Reed because <laughs> I am the podcast's biggest Peyton Reed fan. That's true. true. We got a lot of <laughs> underdogs on this. Podcast. <laughs> I like Peyton Reed. This is third best movie. So, because Bring It On and Down With Love are fantastic, and that is the thing. Is I don't know. It, it's a Peyton Reed movie to me because it's constantly funny. It's good. It's solid. And there are parts in this that I can see in either one of those two movies that I think are going to get attributed to Edgar Wright. And I'm not so sure about that. Um, it's not a movie. It's kind of a one and done for me. It's good. I liked that it. It's solid stuff. It moves quick. It's consistently funny. I think I already said that. Um, The performances are good. I'm not the world's biggest Ant Man fan. Um, I was, as far as the character goes, I kind of kept like tabs on him. I want to know where he is at all times. Yeah, but sometimes he was Giant (laughs) Man. Sometimes he was Scott Lang. I could never figure it out.
0: (laughs) Yellow Jacket.
2: The only thing I'll I'll bring up is is it's nice to watch a movie, and this isn't a problem. Uh, Marvel gets this a lot, but I think it's because they make so many movies. It's nice to watch a movie that gets better as it goes along, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of comic book movies crap themselves the last thirty minutes <laughs> of the movie, and it's not just Marvel movies. There are a lot of comic book. It's a problem, um, and I don't. And I think this movie, maybe because it doesn't start off great, but it it builds to a climax and it gets better as it goes, and it was refreshing to see. It was nice. That's really all I have to say. I liked the performances. I liked um, Corey Stahl. Was it Corey Stahl? Yeah, he's. He makes it entertaining. He's it does, over yeah. the top, and I don't know of any other way to play that character because yeah, even though there's, there's not there's, much to it,
0: yeah, and and that's the thing is that I know people are coming and saying, "Oh, another Marvel villain here who's got nothing to him," and blah blah blah. But I think Corey still still makes it entertaining to watch, He's, which is. More than you could say about Mickey Rourke and some of the other players yeah the... he's
1: very he's very kind of dastardly and yeah. and that's that's fun like yeah. the whole movie feels like a cartoon, which is good yeah. I think it's it's nice that it didn't it delves into some of the heavy stuff, but overall it doesn't you know it's not about i don't know it's not really about the world ending like they keep saying it is, but I'm like, come on like is would that really happen guys <laughs> I don't know I mean I don't know, we can get into that and spoil the yeah. Um,
0: I enjoyed the movie quite a bit, but it does kind of feel, to me, it feels like a movie that was very much, uh, I think they played it safe as Nick was kind of saying. It feels very boilerplate because of the fact that they felt as though it would be very hard to sell Ant-Man as a character. Mm -hmm. Why would he be interesting? Why would he be cool? What can he do? Because anytime, like, the problem is anytime that anybody hears the name ant man or sees anything about it they're like the dude can talk to ants who cares and that's not all that ant man is and and so hopefully this movie kind of can show people that there's way more death to ant man than they could ever think i um to me the the movie does feel i don't want to say half baked maybe like three quarters baked a lot of like the battlefield promotion stuff that that Nick said. In terms of like, I feel as though the script could have had some rough edges polished off. I feel as though some of the effects work sh- could have been, you know, worked on just a little bit more, given it one more pass to really make it all believable. And really, the dichotomy here, I feel like, it, the first time that he shrinks, he's in a bathtub, and I've seen a bathtub before. So if you need to make the bathtub out of CG, then there's an uncanny valley that you need to cross. And if you don't have enough time to do it, then you can't. But then when you take them into the ant tunnels, which are things that I as a human cannot conceive of seeing in most ways or shapes or forms, (laughs) making that in CG worked beautifully and it was fantastic and it looked awesome. So I had some issues with the effects in, in those areas. Um, this movie, as all Marvel movies, treats science in a very strange way. And and uh, and it's very nebulous and a little bit deus ex machina and just kind of a function of the script to get us from certain points to go. And it's not even like the Pim Particle stuff, because that, that's always kind of been built into the Marvel comic of just like this is something that we've created that does this thing. And so it's... I have some issues with that, but it 's n- nothing that i couldn 't suspend in order to really enjoy the movie but uh overall, I mean, I enjoyed it quite a bit. There were some points in the score that I liked that I could
1: kind of picked out, and I liked it I liked the score quite a bit. I do not remember a single note yeah. of the score oh, i thought
2: it was I thought it was fun I thought when the heist, when the heist parts kicked in, I thought the yeah. score yeah That's so i weird. like I tend to like it 's Christoph Beck, the buffy guy uh-huh. and I tend to like his music and there was yeah, he even, did edge of tomorrow. Um, I know he was on Buffy. He's done a couple other things that I can't remember, but... Yeah, I can't... As of Tomorrow's got a pretty good score, too, if I recall.
0: I, I, even, like, some of the ending theme playing over the credits stuff, I was like, oh, this is like a, like an Ant-Man theme. That's pretty <laughs> cool. Like, so so I enjoyed that. But uh, I don't want to go through too much more without delving into spoilers. Yeah, let's go. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Spoiler Terry for ant Ant-Man. <laughs> okay here we are spoiler terry for ant-man uh real quick i I guess it's not too much of a spoiler but i didn't want to bring it up in the previous part of the uh episode what did you guys think of the kind of avengers tie-in stuff for this movie the uh, the the groundwork laid out for its connective tissue to the Marvel cinematic
1: universe i think it worked to the best of any previous marvel movie to date totally by okay. far it actually it's so weird how this movie can feel kind of pulling apart at the seams to me at times and yet at the same time that that is so tight like that it totally makes sense within the the plot of the movie uh, the everybody on screen that's mashing together from these different things fits really well. The opening scene is really good. It's really
0: interesting. It's like, really it's really strong cool.
1: and but I had no idea that John Slattery was in this movie. Oh, I was so happy. I, I had it ruined for me like that day, oh. and I was like, oh, <laughs> I was excited though. I was yeah. like, that's cool. But he, uh, I'm really glad they're keeping him around and not just putting like shit makeup on Dominic Cooper and being like, yeah, because John Slattery really nails like. Older, Old older Starr- Stark. M-S-S- yeah, yeah. Older. he was. Yeah. I kind of wanted him to be in Civil War, or Infinity somehow. We just So <laughs> here's Howard Stark. Is back. Walt Disney Howard Stark has returned. <laughs> uh, Gojo and I were saying it was one of the first things we said as we were driving away from the theater. We were like, uh, we really want to see like a Hank Pym in like the '80s, like busting up Russians show because. With a de-aged Michael Douglas, because it oh, was awesome. The, the
2: de-aged, that was the best it's ever looked Absolutely. in a movie. It was really good. Yeah.
1: They totally did the Tron
0: thing to him, and it works wonderfully.
1: I'm I'm really personally happy with how they treated Hank Pym, and I'm really actually kind of w- weirdly proud of Marvel for not like doing what everyone does with the character of Hank Pym and being like, ooh, just... Don't touch him. Brush him under the rug because so many, especially sometimes in the comics, even as certain writers have been like, "Oh, Hank Pym's a like a bastard and a horrible character," and like comic readers are quick to like condemn him, and they really treated him with some of the more respect they've ever treated any of their characters. Like, this guy is, like, a he's really kind of a boss right from the start. Mm-hmm. He walks in and just tells a, tells a Stark where to shove it and continues to do so throughout the movie. <laughs> and he's very stubborn, and he's he knows he's right, and he's sticking to his guns. And it treated, I think it kind of treated science and scientists the best that a Marvel movie has yet. Like, it felt very appreciative and, and kind of respectful of, like, the scientist, which I thought was kind of cool because Hank Pym is kind of the...
0: Hank is Hank is the least impulsive scientist that we've seen in the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe because we've only seen like Tony Stark and then, you know, I mean, the Hulk, he gets a little bit kind of muddled because of the differences between uh, Mark Ruffalo and Edward Norton and even just the function of that part of the story. In the movies, I don't
1: even consider Stark a scientist
0: yeah and he's not not at all he's yeah so it's it's like it I don't know like Hank Pym is definitely one of those people who like thinks about the consequences of his actions yes he's which very responsible which is interesting because I feel like you wouldn't have this uh, like it's almost good that they didn't hang Ultron on him you know
1: you know what I was thinking too I'm really glad you said that because Corey Stoll in this movie felt like Ultron like really? the sub in for Ultron because he had the kind of like Scorned son yeah. complex, and I was like, Ah! Why couldn't I just have it, man? <laughs> you got so close, but it was compelling. I'm kind of glad they gave him that angle of like yeah. the that that mentor protege relationship, and you know him feeling like he kind of let him down. It was neat that they, they just kind of touched on it, but overall the movie stayed pretty light. But mm-hmm. I'm you know Hank Pym. That's something I think that you got to kind of have in there is that he he has let people down. You got to show that. But anyway, no, I, too much well, Hank
2: with, uh, Hank Pym. Uh, I want to touch yeah a little yeah. bit on what Nick said is. Knowing what I know of the history of the character, Michael Douglas plays him in a way that there are certain things about his past that they don't show that you could totally believe he did at one point. Mm-hmm. Like he, Michael Douglas plays him with such an edge too. I think he played him with a nice. Uh, I liked his performance quite a bit. It, he was my favorite character in the movie. He's no, really he good. was not my favorite character in the movie.
1: Michael Pena. Michael Pena. Michael. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> you should have heard I, Kim laughing at everything he did.
2: I got to see. I got to. I got a scene in a movie where T.I. and Michael Douglas interacted. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I needed. Um,
0: Thanks,
1: Marvel. <laughs> so, uh, to go back to something you said earlier, the overlapping dialogue, unreliable narrator gag, I think everyone's attributing that to, to Edgar, Edgar Wright.
2: And it could be. I could be wrong. It, it's That's kind of, yeah, that's kind of the thing is, it's kind of, <laughs> to me, Edgar Wright's movie doesn't exist, and it never that's will. That's true. So, we're, it, it It doesn't bother me, but it, it, you're comparing it to just not you. A lot of people are comparing it to something that doesn't exist. You can't compare it. I don't know. That unreliable narrative and Michael Peña talking over everybody, that could be in Bring It On. Like, yeah. that could be in Down With Love movies. It probably wouldn't be in The Breakup or whatever the other movie. Yes, Man. I didn't see that one. But it wouldn't feel out of place to me in those other two movies because they're both very fast-talking, witty and it's a movie. something you could
0: see being in, like, the high school setting with Bring It On of, like, yes. people passing a story around. A gossipy. And,
2: and, yeah. and Peyton reads a guy who cut his teeth on, like, Upright Citizens Brigade and Mr. Show and the Weird Al Show. So it's not like he's a scrub when it comes to comedy. <laughs> he's really not. Yeah. Um, so that's why I kind of, like, I sit there and go, well, maybe that is him. I mean, I don't know. Or, you know what? Adam McKay's name's on this, too. Yeah, I was just (laughs) going to say,
1: or even Paul. Yeah. I think all this collective brain trust might have been like, hey, let's...
2: The more I think about it... Oh, sorry.
1: No, and I just wanted to say, like, I I don't know how well
0: I succeeded, but for the non-spoilery part of the review, I hope that I didn't... When sitting down to review this movie, I didn't want to be like, well, this isn't the Edgar Wright movie. Yeah, I still think it's a little oh, half sure. half like unfinished. I think it got rushed.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Whether or not that, I mean, that's not necessarily a function of him not being. I think
1: like, it could have, and you know what? I think the biggest problem though was in the editing room. I think they had too much because they a, have yeah. they have cut almost an entire movie's length of material in the trailers that's not in this movie, <laughs> yeah. and like alternate takes and like deleted scenes, and I mean, I saw three different versions of Paul Rudd talking to Falcon that aren't even in the movie. The fourth version, like there, there are just little little buttons on the end of scenes that didn't make it and i think they should have stayed in there because a lot of the scene scene changes felt really abrupt. abrupt like it just would suddenly cut and i was like well no there, there should be a little a little something that just kind of eases to the next scene
0: tim you were gonna go elsewhere with the uh where was it gonna go uh, so, just somewhere with the is it paint and read or is it edgar wright I um, cu- I cut you off to say I hope I was being partial, but okay, or impartial.
2: No, I. The part of me wonders. I'm getting ready to stick up for a studio again, but part of me run, wonders if some of the issue with Edgar Wright wasn't budget. I mean, if it was balloon, if they thought it was going to balloon out control, because I don't think this is a movie they could get away with hmm. a huge budget on. I don't think it would make its money back. Um, That's fair. If it was, if some of it, but I don't know. I have no idea. That's once again. Now I'm doing it. No, I'm just coming up with a movie in my head.
0: Yeah, we don't know. Like, we honestly don't know. Like, there were some rumors that it could have been the connective tissue that Edgar Wright didn't want. There were some rumors that it could be budget. There, were like, things are all over the place about it. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. The movie's out, and it's
1: good. So, Mm -hmm. good job. I mean, commendable job to Peyton Reed, kind of pulling a Matthew Vaughn and wrangling this thing together and and getting getting it done. I don't think
0: it's, like, to me, I feel like First Class is a home run. I think first class. First is class part. is a
1: great movie. This one, I, I really can't say yet because I need to see it again because my yeah. expectations were definitely in a weird place that first classes were not because coming off of X Men Three and uh, Origins. Uh, Origins. Yeah, Origins. oh god, was after Origins. See, so this is this is this is the launching of a of a hero, and I think it's it's a great springboard for him. Yeah, and Paul Rudd. I, I really wanted to avoid talking too much about the comparisons to comics, but Paul Rudd plays a really good Scott Lang because mm. he's very sh- schlubby at the beginning you know, of the movie, and he's kind of a loser. That's and kind that's of what- exactly what Scott <laughs> Lang should be. Like, and I, he the, the scene where he ruins the the sentimental moment between Hope and and Hank when they finally bond was
4: perfect.
1: <laughs> Scott is that guy who's he's always he's got the best intentions. He's always trying, and he's like, "Hey, like I want to help," and then everyone turns and he's like. Not this time. Okay. And it, just, it was perfect. That scene was great, too. Top to bottom.
2: I wanted to touch on um, with Scott Lane the, uh, the, the kind of family stuff in this movie because mm-hmm. I really loved the end of the movie where they all kind of come together and they just kind yeah. of accept that this is the family now. And I love that they didn't pay um, Bobby Cannaval, I'm mispronouncing that, as like a, as like a jerk yeah. or anything, even though I love that Scott Lane is kind of a, he's kind of a adult. And he just gets frustrated and mad at the beginning and he calls him an, he calls him like an ass or yeah. something. I mean, he's really not an ass, the other character. So it, it was refreshing to me to see that he was just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I like that about his character, the entire movie It's just, he's, he's kind of a dummy, but he means well.
1: Exactly. Yeah. He means well and he's willing to go the extra mile, which is, I was wondering actually probably 15, 20 minutes ish into the movie. I was like, why is Hank picking Scott? Like, how does he know that he's the guy for him? And they did a good job of slowly building to, like, <laughs> the shot of Hank with his giant panel of monitors watching was so awesome. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, this is great. And then when they finally explained, like, oh, it was his his big heist just to kind of stick it to the man, and they kind of kindred spirits in that regard. I really liked that a lot. And the, the relationship between those two felt felt really, like, believable. And yeah. then... I, you know, I was I was actually wondering halfway through the movie. I was like, is this going to end with Hope and Scott kind of having a thing? And I really didn't know. I was like, I could see it going either way. And I'm kind of glad it did. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, just this movie's just having fun. Just do it.
0: Well, it's kind of good because it doesn't <laughs> cut off Bobby Cannavale's character and kind of sidestream him back into Judy Greer's life. But it also... We have... A... Allows them to go elsewhere too. We've I'm,
2: wasted Judy Greer recently. Well, yeah, Movies yeah, that's true. Whole. Like she's she's Jurassic she's world. better. Than this world. She's much better than a Jurassic World role. Yeah, she's
0: yeah. What about Dawn of the Planet? I did like Apes? I did like
1: that that family even, dynamic. What's that? I did like the family dynamic, and that's yeah. like you were yeah. saying, like that that Scott being. I wonder if in a in a sequel, I wish his daughter was. A little, she was super cute. First of all, that little girl oh, was yeah. <laughs> was insanely cute. But I kinda want to see his daughter a little bit older because in the comics it's really hilarious watching him like his rebellious teenage daughter always wants to hang out with him and his mom's like or her mom is like, No, your dad is like a second rate ant man, don't hang out with him <laughs> because they all know. And she's like, he's off like fighting D listers and you don't need to be involved in that. You need to go to school, and she's like, I just want to hang out with dad. And it's really fun. Um
0: Yeah, there's a couple more things that I wanted to touch on. The some of the comedic amazingness in the third act of just the idea or throughout the movie of just showing a wide shot of this yes. micro scale action is beautifully done
1: the ping pong battle or ping pong paddle smack into the bug zapper had me like tearing up a little bit i was <laughs> laughing so hard because the all oh, the sound design in that moment was so funny <laughs> yeah and even when scott is like testing the suit and he's like you hear these little pings and stuff as he's bouncing off of stuff was yeah. like really funny
0: yeah, I I really uh, even the the one that gets ruined in like the first trailer that came out of the Thomas the Tank oh, Engine the, getting derailed, tipping over, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. getting derailed is is. Still insane. worked,
1: yeah. 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 The tank engine bursting through the house oh. and <laughs> no, <that's laughs> erupting into the street. That's, you know, that was one thing that was. I'm glad Marvel's starting to get into the more out there things because the movie ends and there's a giant ant living under their table that yeah. the daughter's oh, feeding. I loved that too, yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. And I was like, you know what? I'm kind of glad they're like, eh, you know what? Let's just stop trying to be to put a realistic bow on this thing. And at the end of the movie, have him be like, okay, aunt, you need to be an ant again. He's yeah. like, eh, my daughter wants a dog. Here you go. She gets a giant ant.
2: This is the first new character in like four years, right? Since Captain America.
1: I mean, they have a solo film. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
2: Guardians. Okay.
1: okay. But yeah,
2: it was just refreshing. Yeah. That's what I was going to bring Absolutely. up. It was nice to see. And it's, it's so different. Like yeah. the,
1: the power set is sh- like I said, I, it, it's done well, but I wish there had been something a little bit more, that would have been a little more memorable. And I and I mean as I'm talking about, it, I'm remembering like, oh, the the fight in the suitcase is really funny.
2: Oh my and God. It's amazing. Oh, that cure that cure music. Yeah. That oh it's c- so yeah, good. It's really good.
0: It's so good. So just, these these moments the shot, are there. The shot
2: of that suitcase
0: falling from the yeah. from the uh, from the helicopter, the helicopter and just the lasers beaming through <laughs> yeah. it. It's it's so funny. It's hilarious. I I all there's so many moments like that. And every time it happened, it was just as funny
1: to me. I can't believe I haven't seen an image yet of like a GIF or something of the part where he's running over the model and people are shooting at him, and comparing it to the the model for ants or the building for ants line from yes. from Zoolander. Yes, I'm like that. <laughs> ha- it has
0: thing, to be a reference to that. That is the first thing that that hit my head when when he was running through that.
1: Yeah, but, it was it was good. Um, uh, the the. It's kind of genius the way the movie deals with like all these quantum theories of of, like the microverse and et cetera, because it's not something we can really disprove, but it feels convenient. It's clever.
0: And it's convenient in the fact that it's like, well, there's so much unknowable about the quantum, the field of quantum mechanics and everything on the quantum level that you can't be like, well, that's not how it would work. Like I I can't do that. There is one thing that I can say that's not how it works, and I'm really sad that as he's shrinking to the subatomic level and going into the atom that he sees in front of him, it's a Bohr model, which isn't... That's been wrong since the 50s, so please, move on. (laughs) Should have been some electron clouds in there instead of orbital patterns with electrons. Anyways, sorry. But that was my one... Ice pack moment. I was like, "That's not how it looks." (laughs) We don't really can't really talk about how it looks, but it doesn't look like that. Is it? It's probably what people think it looks like, though. It's yeah. It's the standard. Like when you when you look at an atom, what do you see? You see the thing in the middle with the circles running around it like that with the electrons. That's been wrong since the
1: fifties. So that's been wrong since forever, probably. But I got you. We've known that's been wrong since the fifties. It just changed in the 50s, man. It used to look like (laughs) that, but now it's wrong. Animals behave differently since the 50s. It's funny because I just had, uh, this is super not related. Well, it's a good comparison, I guess. I had uh, dinner the other night with some friends, and I have a friend who's from Arkansas. And it was at a barbecue place, and he asked how their cornbread was. And we just goes, oh, it's really good. And he goes, I'm a southern boy. How's your cornbread? And she's like, well, everyone here seems to like it. And he goes, all right, bring it up. And so they, they bring the cornbread and set it down with, with his meal. And he just picks it up and sniffs it. And that, like he's testing out wine. And I'm like, how's, this, how's the aroma? And he goes, seems all right. And then he goes like this. He like pats it. And I was like, and the texture. And he goes, it's a little spongy. And I was like, oh. And then he takes a bite and he goes, oh. And just right away he goes, there's sugar in this. And he goes, hey, there's sugar in this. <laughs> like it was wrong. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, cornbread with sugar in it? Come on. And he's like, that's not how it's supposed to be. And he sets it down. And I said, let me try a piece. And I I tried it and I said, "This is what I think cornbread's supposed to taste like." And he's like, "No." Mm-hmm. And it just reminded me of the thing with the Adam. Like that—that's <laughs> what people think an Adam looks like. And you mm-hmm. would be that guy. That's your cornbread. You'd be like, "No, yeah. no, no! <laughs> yeah, you're I mean, wrong." I was disappointed in Marvel. Do mom, it right. One, but the only part about that scene that really bothered me—I thought it was cool—and I think that they can—it kind of paves the way for some Doctor Strangey type stuff, like how mm. how time might pass in there and and how things might be. But him. Him taking the disc and just being like back to perfect size. Yeah, Yeah, it was kind of funny. I was like, yeah, at this point, whatever. But I'm really glad that 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 mechanic of things getting bigger was in there because I really want to see them do Giant Man. Yeah,
0: I thought that was a very genius way because as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, it's
1: not Giant Man. One of my first thoughts was how have they not used this on a person yet? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll get the the propaganda film of like a 60-foot tall Michael Douglas (laughs) toppling the Eiffel Tower or something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, the only other thing I wanted to touch on real
0: quick, because uh, we're getting kind of long here. Um, I felt like the Antony death moment was very Alex's tears. Like it affected me. I was like, "That's bullshit." Number one, the <laughs> fact that the fact that that bullet just heads straight for he just gets all the ant and nothing else involved in that <laughs> Like that was that sucked. But oh, it hurt.
1: I loved that ant. I super didn't care about that at all no? because it was telegraphed from the very first second that ant showed up. I was like, Man, it's gonna die!"
3: Like, yeah. That's a lot scary. of
1: this movie was really telegraphed, yeah. and generally it didn't bother me. But that I was like, I
0: loved everything with the ants.
1: Absolutely, oh, yeah. everything. The ants were great, and the
0: exfiltration from the prison scene was so genius it was really funny Just the idea of him running outside and you hear this helicopter coming down and it's an ant <laughs> yeah it was, <laughs> it was so good it was so good
1: but, uh the only thing i i wish they had exp- explained the technology of communicating with the ants a little bit because hank's like i talked to them with this he goes oh okay and then the movie yeah goes,
0: he says something about how it's like electromagnetic waves or something but it doesn't yeah
1: I, I guess know. it was fine and we got the point. I just think that's really interesting that a scientist would, would tune in to whatever frequency they use to communicate with each other and then apply it yeah. at a human scale. Like I think that's that has always been one of the more interesting parts of Ant-Man to me. And hopefully in the sequel they'll expand beyond just ants and he uses other insects too. That'd be pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So. I read a rumor that uh, there was a proposed ending or scene where uh, Hank kept the yellow jacket suit for himself mm. and was... Potentially going to roll up as Yellow Jacket, and oh man, would that, <laughs> wouldn't that have been just really rad if Michael Douglas in, in Civil War just rolled up <laughs> like, oh shit, it's Yellow Jacket, and the mask opens, and Michael Douglas says some awesome one liner, <laughs> wipes off his, the condensation on his glasses, and <laughs> or something like that.
0: That would have been amazing. What if he does.
1: There was some. Hey, uh, there's, there's room. He seemed like he had a good time making it, right?
0: <laughs> Apparently, uh, uh, Peyton Reed came out and said there was a cut where. Uh, Scott does track down the Hydra agent guy who was a former Shield agent in 89 that gets punched in the face by Hank. Oh right. Supposedly Scott there's a cut where Scott tracked him down and got the particles back, but they intentionally cut it out
1: so that they could be out there. So they what did he steal just some pin particles? Some cross particles. Oh. Cross pollination. Yes. He didn't
0: have the suit cuz Cross was wearing it. Right, but. and the suit is just gone, evaporated. Uh, crushed. yeah, 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 crushed in the quantum <sighs> field, right? I guess. So,
1: anyway, it's good. It's a good movie. Yeah, check it out. Looking Some forward to Ant Man.
0: Uh, uh, Ant Man
1: action. There. I like the idea of like a uh, an impending bromance between Ant Man and Falcon. Yeah, you yeah, going be kind of fun.
2: Evangeline Lilly needs more to do because I even, thought she was underused. Yes, yeah, that was one of my main issues with the movie. If I had. She was underused because she's really good. Yeah. She's a good character, a, too. She's underused a lot. Uh, and, too, she's kind of like the Judy Greer of mm-hmm. Ant-Man. Uh- <laughs>
1: <laughs> Judy is not the Judy Greer of Ant-Man. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: and if you're going to, I think the reason, if you're going to have a f- uh, cameo, a Marvel cameo at this point, it should be Anthony Mackie. Because Anthony Mackie is a joy to oh, watch. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> he's just really funny. No, and he seems even, like he's having such a good time. We
0: didn't even really talk about that. We didn't talk about either of the post credits. Are the credit scenes.
1: I mean, the one is cool. We got
0: Cool, Wasp. we'll get Wasp. Wasp is coming. That Wasp was cool. coming. I like that. The suit looks neat, too. Mm-hmm. The
2: suit is cool. Yeah.
0: And then the second scene is apparently something that <laughs> they just yeah. will be used in Civil War. That's a scene from Civil War. That, according to some Feige words. I was wondering about that. It's supposedly
1: Because it makes no sense. <laughs> no. No.
2: I, didn't, I did not like that scene. It's
1: like ripped out of context. I like couldn't a, even understand it. It happened so quick. I couldn't tell you. The only line I could tell you was, "I might know a guy," and that's it. I don't, yeah, yeah, You don't it even really like, get a good shot of Chris Evans. Like it's very. What is he? What is Bucky stuck to? Yeah. It's very everything about it. It was a bad idea.
2: It was the first time I felt like one of the, like a person who doesn't read Marvel comics, like yeah. asking other people, like, "What did that mean?" <laughs> like I was yeah. asking other people, like, trying to figure out what, like, what's going on, because I don't remember Winter Soldier that much, and yeah. then, so I had to have everything filled in for me. So.
1: It's it's weird. It was weird. It was it, not a satisfying. You
2: can you can skip that part. Yeah. Leave no. after the first one.
0: I, I I said I was originally joking. Yeah, they gotta they gotta put all the Bucky stuff in post credit sequences because they're not gonna have time to do it in the movie. <laughs> but yeah, really. The what did they say? Tony can't. They can't. They can't. After what's happened, they can't call the Avengers. And like it's basically implied that something has happened after
1: recent events that they cannot. It was. Uh, oh, I read it. Um, they said we can't call. Tony, because of the Accords, is what they said. I think.
2: Yeah, because the whole time I was sitting there, like, "What are they? Are they talking about?" A-? I didn't realize it was from the middle of the movie until I read about oh, it. Like, are they talking about something that have happened at Avengers? Because if I recall, they ended on pretty good terms. So apparently, it, sound- not. it,
1: it sounded like they're referring to some sort of legislation or something. That some reason they can't involve Tony. Mm. Well,
2: they should have ended it with. uh like that scene from Mac and me that Paul Rudd always <laughs> shows up. <laughs> <called> oh. <Ryan. laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs>
0: yeah. Did you see that? we're getting really late, but uh. nobody listens. this fine. <laughs> did, did you see he, he uh, went on, it was really funny because somebody posted it on Reddit. They like uh, Paul Rudd was on Conan last night again. And I was expecting it to, to be that scene. But then I go in and read the credits and then every once in a while, every once in a while, there's a Reddit post where anybody who comments on it just reaches this invisible accord that is, we are going to trick everybody that reads these. And all of the comments were, man, it's a shame Marvel didn't let him do it this time and blah 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 and all this stuff. But it was he actually played the scene. He played game. it twice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was that was that was beautiful. And they edited Ant Man into it this right. time. Yeah. <laughs> that was
1: really fun. They like led it with Ant-Man footage yeah. and then it just <laughs> cut to it. Yeah.
0: And well, then he appears behind Matt. Yeah, yeah. he like, stands up at the yeah. end. I've yeah,
2: appreciated Marvel and Ant Man's like screw it approach to marketing, like the last <laughs> week of the movie, which is just like let's do, put some goofy stuff.
1: Oh, I there. saw uh, like a picture of a bunch of ants walking to a movie theater wearing like Thor hats and like Captain America <laughs> shields, and I was like, oh, the ba- the ultimate is the the clip of like the freestyle body slapping between oh, yes. Michael Douglas and Paul Rudd. That is. Absolutely yeah. hilarious. Tim put
0: that in the group text and I was like, God, why why didn't they use this should be this should have been like
1: that should be on TV. Yeah. <laughs> that should be the
0: TV spots. Oh man. All right. Well, feedback at MidwestfilmNerds.com. Let us know what you think of the show, the things that we talk about. Uh at MFN Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. dot com is where you can go to listen to all hundred and thirty-six plus bonus episodes. Uh we also have full show notes on all of those. So you can skip over the spoilery bits and the other things that you don't want to hear. Um, amazon.midwestpodcastnetwork.com is where you can shop on Amazon and part of your purchase will come to us so that we can use it to make our show and network better and uh, that's about it next week not sure what we're doing there's a couple viable movies coming out so uh, keep an eye on the Facebook I'll try to let you know before we go uh, before we decide on anything but I think that's about it y go watch a movie